1: Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about personal bankruptcy uh, in this province, in British Columbia. And it's all things that you probably didn't know. So if you've been researching bankruptcy in BC, you're going to find an overwhelming amount of information available, whether it's from the internet, your friends, your family, even financial advisors. But unfortunately, it's not all going to be true. A lot of people tend to make up their mind that bankruptcy is not for them simply because they've heard or read the wrong thing, or there's just such a stigma to it that you can't even conceive the idea. So to help clear up some of those misconceptions, Blair Manton's gonna break down the five facts about bankruptcy that you may not know about, which I think is super cool, Blair, that you're doing
0: this. Yeah, happy to do so.
1: So let's start with an overview of personal bankruptcy in this country. How does it work?
0: Yeah, so thanks, Elena. I think, you know, for someone that's considering personal bankruptcy, the first thing to understand is that they're not alone. Um, you know, there's a huge number of circumstances that could lead to financial difficulties, um, you know, whether it's job loss, illness, divorce, or, you know, the global pandemic that, you know, we're, we're dealing with these days. Uh, but there's tens of thousands of individuals each year in Canada that file for bankruptcy or do a consumer proposal. You know, it's ob- it's often in the range of 120 to 150,000 people. So that's not an insignificant portion of the population of Canada here. What bankruptcy is, it's a legal option, it's available to anyone who owes money and is not able to pay it. So the option to file bankruptcy is yours. There's no creditor that can prevent you from seeking protection. Um, and if the situation's left you unable to pay your debts, you've got the right to get a financial fresh start. Uh, When you file for personal bankruptcy in Canada, you don't work with a lawyer, you can't do it yourself, you have to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee, and that would be Sands and Associates. So previously, we were called the trustee in bankruptcy, and now we're called a licensed insolvency trustee just because we do do other things than bankruptcy. We do consumer proposals, we do a lot of credit counseling and informal advice and things like that. You know, a lot of people think bankruptcy is going to take you seven years and it's going to impact you for the rest of your life. We're going to talk about today how those are are false assumptions and that bankruptcy is often quicker, uh, necessary way to move forward, and it puts you on a good track for the future.
1: And the fact that you mentioned uh, a lawyer can't do it for you, you, you also don't have to see a lawyer in order to start the process.
0: That's right. Now, anybody can see a lawyer anytime they want for advice, but for the vast majority of people, they just come straight to a trustee. Uh, A trustee will give them all the advice they need and help them make the decision to file for bankruptcy. So if you're ever traveling in the States, you see a ton of bankruptcy lawyer advertisements. If you wonder why you don't see them in Canada, it's because essentially a trustee plays that role.
1: Okay. So um, how much debt do you need to have before you can even think about declaring bankruptcy?
0: This is an interesting one, Elaine. It's $1,000. So it's a minimum of $1,000, which is not a big number, right?
1: No, it's not.
0: And that hasn't changed since about the Great Depression. So when the bankruptcy laws were written, you know, way back in the 1930s or so, $1,000 was pretty significant. What would that be? You know, $15,000, $20,000 today. Uh, But they haven't updated that. Now, is anybody filing bankruptcy when they owe $1,000? Nobody I've ever seen. Um, And I would probably counsel them away from doing so. But in some situations, you know, a $5,000 debt can be as unmanageable as a $75,000 debt, depending on the personal situation and how much that's impacted the individual. So it's a minimum of $1,000 theoretically unlimited you know i've had people go bankrupt owing millions of dollars most often it's in the range of you know 40 to 60 thousand dollars but the strict minimum is just a thousand dollars
1: now does everything do all your debts get included in that bankruptcy
0: well, not all, but I would say all that should be included, okay? And I'll explain what I mean by that. So the ones that yeah. are included, you know, first off, debts with Canada Revenue Agency, so whether it's income taxes or GST or source deductions or things like that, if you owe the government money, it can be dealt with in a bankruptcy. Uh, student loans as well, government-backed student loans. Uh, the government wants you to try to, you know, make a good-faith effort after you graduated for seven years to try to earn income, but if you're still experiencing hardship after seven years from when uh, you graduated your program or stopped studying, absolutely student loans can be included in a bankruptcy. Uh, MSP premiums can be included in a bankruptcy, if you've got any of those uh, still hanging around from before they were eliminated. Uh, Most of the other debts that you have, you know, even a debt due to gambling, even a personal debt, uh, you know, the debts that couldn't be included are the ones, again, that kind of make sense. So a court-imposed fine, so if you're held accountable in court, uh, some damages are awarded against you, you can't go bankrupt on those damages typically. Uh, If there's alimony and maintenance payments, Um, You know, you've got some support obligations you have to make for your family. Obviously, those can't be discharged in a bankruptcy either. And then general dishonesty. So if you owe money because you stole something or you obtained property through false pretenses, those can't be dealt with in a bankruptcy. So a bankruptcy, it's targeted at someone who is honest but unfortunate. So if, you know, a general business dispute, you've been honest but unfortunate the whole time. If you go through a bankruptcy, you would be able to have the debt dealt with. If it's a business dispute where you're convicted of fraud, there's all these allegations you've committed a crime. If you go through a bankruptcy, that might not be discharged at the end.
1: Okay. So the thing is, I know that a lot of people worry about how they're going to be penalized for claiming bankruptcy. And... I guess it's a holdover from old stories and movies and just how, how the, you know, things we've been told and how we might have grown up knowing that and that sometimes you, you you're never going to recover from that. So uh, recover from declaring bankruptcy, but that's, let's talk about the facts here because that's not necessarily true.
0: Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, I get calls all the time with people saying, well, how much money am I allowed to earn in bankruptcy? Is my income too high or too low uh, to file for bankruptcy? And, and, you know, the answer is there's no income cap in a bankruptcy. If you go into a bankruptcy, you can earn whatever income you choose to earn, um, but realize that while you're in the bankruptcy, the amount that you have to repay on the debt and the length of time that the bankruptcy is going to last for, uh, they're driven 100% by your income. They're not driven by the amount of the debt. And if someone has never been in bankruptcy, before, if they're considered low income, which for a single person is less than about $2,200 per month take-home pay. If they're considered low income, bankruptcy runs for nine months. If they're not low income, bankruptcy runs for a year longer than that. So it's not the case that someone that's high income is going to be held into bankruptcy for five or 10 years to make them pay back all the debt. The worst case for someone who's never been bankrupt before is less than two years, 21 months. Um, and typically, if somebody has a very high income, they're going to look at other alternatives to a bankruptcy. Oftentimes, a consumer proposal where they make a, a deal to repay the debt or part of the debt without interest, You know, oftentimes that might cost them a similar amount or just a little bit more than a bankruptcy. But then they avoid the proceeding altogether. They make a repayment. So it's not the case if you've got high income bankruptcy is not an option for you. It very well might be. Uh, but often a proposal is a good option for you to consider, too
1: okay now one of the other things that comes along with or with the idea of being bankrupt is that you lose everything and mm-hmm. that's not the, that's not true either
0: Right. And that comes from, you know, the 30 second pop culture assumption of bankruptcy, which is, oh, my God, it's the end of your life. You're, you lose everything. You never recover and so on and so forth. And as soon as you start to peel back the layers, you realize that most people are generally in a better position to keep their assets after they filed a bankruptcy uh, than before. So what I mean by that is when you file for bankruptcy, there's a number of assets that are classified as exempt. And what that means is they don't count in the bankruptcy. And it just makes sense. You know, you need to give somebody a good base of assets to Reestablish themselves to move forward to be a positive member of society. You know, if a tradesperson goes into bankruptcy and suddenly you take their tools from them, how do you expect that person to ever earn income again? You haven't solved the problem. You haven't done anything good here. So, yeah. if someone files for bankruptcy, the exemptions that they're allowed to keep—household um, items, so all the furniture, their personal effects worth up to a four thousand dollar value at a garage sale value—those um, are all exempt. So, I've never once went to someone's house to start cart away their possessions. I wouldn't be doing that job if that was this job. If it was part of that, so that just doesn't yeah. happen. In Canada, Uh, you know, a vehicle or vehicle equity up to a $5,000 value. So if you finance the car, almost always you have less than $5,000 equity almost towards the end of that. And most people, if they've got a lot of debts, they're usually not driving, you know, a fully paid off brand new car here, it's usually financed or it's an older car. So a vehicle up to $5,000 or equity in that amount could be kept. Um, Home equity is an interesting one. So people think, oh my God, if I go into bankruptcy, i automatically lose my house. Well, the answer is no. Depending on the amount of equity that you have, if you've just got a minimal amount of equity, you're allowed up to $12,000 as an equity exemption uh, before your house is even considered in a bankruptcy filing. Uh, And we've talked a lot about things like RRSPs, which are fully exempt. The only exception is if you've contributed a ton of money in the last 12 months before you file for bankruptcy. But most people, if they're having a debt problem, they stop contributing to their RRSPs. And the key thing is just not to pull any of that money out and it it stays fully exempt. And the last thing, as I mentioned, is your tools of the trade. So if someone files for bankruptcy, whatever tools they need to earn income up to a reasonable value of $10,000 at a liquidation cost, um, those are, are also allowed to be retained.
1: Now, the other thing, too, I, I added onto that list, which I think is super interesting, is that uh, certain life insurance policies and nearly all pension plans are also protected.
0: That's right, yeah. So just about every pension, well I guess every pension plan that I've ever seen, I haven't seen one that's not, is fully protected. So if you've got a pension plan and you're worried about filing for bankruptcy, don't be, you know, that could never be taken from you. Uh, With life insurance, it all matters who is the beneficiary and if you had any sort of advice at all from an insurance agent, they would say typically don't make your estate the beneficiary, make it the family member who you really want to get the money. So if it's a spouse, a parent, a grandparent, or a child, if any of those are your beneficiaries, you've got a really valuable life insurance policy, if you filed for bankruptcy you would keep that policy with no issues
1: and I think one of the pieces about, uh, you know, filing for bankruptcy is that, you know, you'll never that the, the value of you as a, a human being contributing to the planet in any way will forever be damaged. Um, but that's not true. And and the same can be said about your credit. Like y- you will be able to sort of continue on in a life that resembles the one you had before the bankruptcy.
0: Yeah, and Elaine, this is one that, that really frustrates me, this myth and this misconception, and I see it put out there sometimes by you know, financial advisors or credit counselors or people who really should know better, and they counsel people about the lifelong impact of bankruptcy okay the lifelong impact of bankruptcy i have not had a single client in 13 years of being a trustee uh, ever call me and talk to me about this long-term impact of filing for bankruptcy it's quite the opposite i have people call me pretty regularly saying i was discharged three or four years ago because i could eliminate all the debt because i could rebuild my credit now i'm getting a mortgage because i was able to save a down payment so quite often where people are scared of taking the step of a bankruptcy because they're worried how it's going to impact their future all they do is tread water they keep a good credit rating but they're just just paying minimums on debts that don't go down and they're unable to save any money and if the goal of a credit rating is to eventually allow you to get a mortgage you need the down payment first so if your debts are stopping you from saving money bankruptcy is going to be the best thing you could do or, or a consumer proposal but eliminating your debts is going to be the best thing you could do to enable you to actually have that financial success later in life to get that mortgage and it's absolutely not the case that you couldn't be considered to for a mortgage after a bankruptcy generally two to three years after a discharge you could be considered for a mortgage with no credit crazy risk premium, you'd be the same as a typical other consumer, and you'd be better off than when you started because you've got no debt, you've dealt with it, um, and now you've rebuilt your credit. So uh, it's not the lifelong impact. It's actually, it's a very much, it's a much more positive way to look towards the future after you finish the bankruptcy.
1: Yeah. So in wrapping this segment up, I just want to remind folks, um, about your website. It's just so great. It's the, the address is sans-trustee.com. And when I say it's chock-a-block, it is filled with great questions and great answers. So it, there's lots of stuff that we are unable to cover in every segment that we do. This is a great resource for you to go to. Or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030, visit their website, get the appointment, and start to take some good action. You're listening to dollars and cents. Debt trouble ahead. So, this is all about learning the warning signs. And, you know, I, I, off, I, I sort of vacillate between should, you know, shouldn't you sort of know? Aren't these warning signs pretty clear for people? But they're, but they're not. And I bet you figure, I bet you guys talk to people all the time that said, man, I didn't see this, I didn't see this, I didn't realize until I got to this point.
0: Uh, you know, absolutely, Elaine. I think some of them are a little bit on, on the obvious side, we'll say, but others, I hear people just in regular conversations I overhear say, hey, I'm making my minimum payments, I'm just fine. Well, not to give away the suspense, but that's the number two warning sign we're going to talk about, making your minimum yeah. payments. You're not just fine, you're putting yourself in debt for probably the rest of your life here. So yeah, yeah, I think there will be some insight for folks, even again, some, how could you not know? Okay, I get that. But others, okay, well, yeah, I didn't realize that was a warning sign.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about them. Uh, the, the similar warning signs that not just one person, but that the people who you talk to on a regular basis are, are missing or don't catch on as quickly as they possibly could.
0: Yeah. So the number one, uh, first one for us to talk about today is the idea of avoiding your financial situation. So a lot of times when people come in to see me, they bring a stack, I guess they used to bring a stack of unopened mail, uh, cause they're just scared. They're scared of what's going to be in there. They know every month the balance is going to be higher and higher. And if they stop making their payments, they know it's not going to be anything happy when they open the mail. So they just started to avoid it. Um, uh, sometimes they're guessing on their balances, they're ignoring the correspondence, um, or you know, they're just blocking numbers, screening calls, all of that. So avoidance is never a long-term strategy. Um, you know, Yeah, you can probably prevent people from reaching you to try to collect on a debt, uh, but that doesn't stop the debt from continuing to grow and from you potentially having to take action in the future. And one big way this can come home to roost is if you avoid filing your tax return because you know you owe the government money, uh, the longer you avoid it, the more likely Canada Revenue Agency is going to take some very significant steps, like going to your employer and seizing your wages, going to your bank and freezing your bank account. You know, Owing them money is not the worst thing, but avoiding your obligation of filing your tax return each year, that is the worst possible thing you can be doing uh, if you're dealing with Canada Revenue Agency. Uh, you know, one last point just on the idea of avoidance is the idea of not sharing your financial situation, either with your spouse or with the closest people in your life who might be able to offer empathy, support, might be able to advise you of some solutions you weren't aware of. Maybe one of them is a listener to this show. It can say, hey, tune into to CKNW to dollars and cents. You'll learn something about what you can do with your debt. So don't be afraid to share your debt problem. You can often find a lot of good support and assistance with the people that do care about you.
1: Let's go back to that one that you you just mentioned at the start of this segment about make only making the minimum payments.
0: Yeah, so this is something that more and more people are realizing that making minimum payments is a recipe for the bank to make a ton of money on interest because, you know, my gosh, they're going to get 20 to 30% back each year on the debt balance. You know, we wish we could invest and earn that, uh, but it's not a recipe for you really to ever get out of debt. And for 60% of people who filed a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal in the past year, they recognized that they were in trouble because they were only able to make their minimum payments. Um, they looked at their statements. They saw that disclosure, which sometimes it's on the front page. Sometimes it's a little bit harder to find, uh, but it tells them, you know, for this a few thousand dollars of debt, for example, it's a 20-year payment plan. For this $20,000 of debt, they won't survive long enough to pay all this off if they're only making the minimum payments. So it's a little bit different from bank to bank how minimum payments are calculated. But am one of the major banks that I deal with personally, I looked at my statement, and I couldn't believe it when they say the minimum payment, it's the interest, it's the taxes and the fees, plus $10. So the interest, taxes and fees recur every month. You're telling me $10 of what I pay is what's going to actually reduce the amount that I owe? Yeah, $10 on maybe a $200 payment. So it's definitely something if you're only making your minimum payments, that's a huge warning sign that your financial health is not strong and you're probably just delaying to the point uh, where you should be restructuring your debts.
1: Okay. I want to throw in here the website, your website, sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a call at Sands & Associates, 1-800-661-3030. And do you want to mention that rule of 60? Because I think that's a really good sort of thing that anybody can sort of sit down and do easily and go, oh, yikes, I need to take some action here.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Elaine. So it's really quick math. You know, if you've got uh, a certain debt balance, but you're wondering, hey, do I really have an issue or not? I'd say take your total debt, let's say it's $10,000, for example, and divide it by 60 months. So forget about the, the interest or anything else. So 10000 divided by 60, that's about $166 a month. Uh, could you afford to make that payment? If yes, OK, so you're probably in a situation where you still can get on top of this debt. Uh, if you just start making that extra payment each month, um, you'll be able to, to draw the balance balance down. But if it's the case it's twenty dollars or $30,000, you know, dividing $30,000 by 60 months, that's $500 a month. And if you're struggling to make all your minimum payments, which are less than $500, and you know that you're not going to be able to increase that amount, that's a big warning sign that when you divide the debt balance by 60, if that's a monthly payment, if it's unaffordable, you definitely need to be investigating some professional options to help you with your debts.
1: I think number three on your list uh, for the warning sign is something that a lot of people um, must do in the hopes of trying to figure it out themselves.
0: Yeah, this is the idea of adding to your debt. So uh, it's really important if you find yourself in a debt situation that you understand, you know, every month, am I going deeper and deeper in debt? Is it just the interest that's snowballing? And quite often you need to look closely at your credit use habits and say, are you relying on your credit every month to bridge the gap between the cost of living and your income? Uh, If that's the case, then, you know, on a long term basis, your debts are just going to keep escalating because we don't expect the cost of living are going to go down. And unless you're going to be able to increase your income. It's a big warning sign uh, that you're relying, again, on credit to bridge that gap between your expenses and your income. It's a really tough thing uh, for you to do on a long-term basis because eventually all of your accounts will be maxed out. There'll be nobody else to borrow from. And then often people will start to go, uh, you know, the really destructive forms of financing, something like a payday loans or, uh, you know, an instant auto loan where you get title to your car. So you start to go to these places with higher interest because they're the only ones left that will, will loan you money once your other accounts are maxed out out. So just be very careful if when you look at your budget every month, um, credit is the part that's filling the gap because on a long-term basis, um, there's going to be a reckoning.
1: I'm glad you mentioned budget uh, because I, I bet at the end of the month, if you have a budget, if you're following one and it and things aren't adding up, that must be one of the warning signs too.
0: Yeah, having an unbalanced budget. So most of the time when people come in to see us, they haven't kept a budget for, for quite some time, but some people have. You know, they've been quite, um, you know, on top of things, tracking all their expenses expenses. expenses and their income and they've just said well you know on a monthly basis i seem to be short every month or what I find in my budget is I'm able to meet my immediate expenses, but I've got no ability to save for my irregular expenses, like, you know, the car service a couple uh, a couple times a year or, the you know, the kids' dental bills or something like that. Um, and if it's the case that your budget is just stretched just with your immediate things, but you can't handle any of the irregular expenses that happen periodically through the year and you need to, to, to budget for, um, or if you've got no ability to put away any savings, it's giving you an idea that you're operating too close to the knife's edge. You're operating with no safety net. You've got no emergency fund put away. So having a budget that either doesn't balance or is just so stretched, it uh, can be a really big warning sign that your financial situation is at risk.
1: And if and if you've got all that going on, you just must feel so unbelievably stressed about it.
0: Yeah, just about everybody that I meet with, they don't take their debt situation lightly at all. It's quite the opposite. You know, three in four people that we deal with, uh, debt stress drove them towards anxiety or depression. Uh, Two-thirds of people said their self-esteem suffered from being in debt. Uh, Relationships were negatively impacted. Even one in six people become suicidal because they just feel hopeless about their debt situation. So the last warning sign today uh, is being debt stressed. So if you feel you have a debt problem, if you're stressed about your finances, you should trust that impulse you probably do and your stress is probably well-founded so if you're constantly worrying about your debts if you're scared or anxious about your situation you're avoiding the information avoiding opening either the electronic or the printed statements or you're feeling desperate hopeless or helpless those are all situations that can be just so destructive if you allow allow yourself to sit there so you've got to reach out understand what the options are for help Just about everybody that we sit down with, they leave even just the first meeting saying, I had no idea the rules applied to me this way. I had no idea I can turn things around. And for two-thirds of people that we see, they don't even need to file a bankruptcy. They can file a proposal instead, get things back on track without having to go bankrupt.
1: You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. If you're looking for a better way to manage your debt, there's five debt management resources that B.C. consumers can access for free. And Blair has said this a number of times, knowing is not owing. Uh, Each year, thousands of people across the province get professional debt help solutions from licensed insolvency trustees, which, of course, that's what Blair is is and there's what about a thousand in the country is that still correct Blair
0: that's about right yep
1: so the thing is you guys talk to people every day about all the different options to help them manage their debts and you've talked before that there are solutions that people can take on their own to better manage their debts let's talk about those and what's the first free resource that you think we should know about
0: I'm really excited for today's segment, Elaine, because I love the idea of a free resource, and uh, what I want to do today is to explain, you know, these are all pretty simple stuff. They're not going to cost you anything, and again, as we've talked a number of times, I believe there's, you know, there's some objectives in the financial financial system to make things seem more complicated than they are and they're really not. It's relatively straightforward. And the five things I'm going to talk to you about today, they're all very straightforward and I think people will say, oh well that makes a whole lot of sense. I wonder why no one else told me about them before. So I hope people do get some value out of what we're going to say today. So the number one thing here is to check your credit history or your credit report. This is something you can do absolutely free um, but it's not going to be you know the easiest way to find this. If you go, there's two credit bureaus in Canada, there's Equifax and there's TransUnion. If you go on their website, you know, you'll see all these offers for getting, you know, credit score monitoring on a monthly basis, you know, pay $24.95 to get your credit report instantly online. Um, But it's always been the case, you can get your long form credit report, you know, the one that runs for 10 plus pages, depending on how many accounts you have open, you can get that for free once a year, just by asking for it just by sending in a specified request form, and they will mail you a long-form copy of your credit report. So to access that form, if you go to my website, which is sans-trustee.com, and down at the bottom of the homepage, you'll see a button for client resources. We've got a link to each of the forms for Equifax and TransUnion, and if you just send it away, you send a couple copies of your ID, you tell them your address, within about a week or two, you'll get your long-form credit report, and it's almost every time when I pulled my credit report, I found at least one or two accounts that maybe weren't reporting accurately. I found addresses that I didn't live at. I found employers I haven't had before. And it makes a lot of sense because, you know, 30 plus million Canadians, a lot of data points on each Canadian, it's possible for things to get filed under the wrong person. And if it's something that's delinquent, you know, showing that you've missed payments where you could when you haven't, um, you know, you might only find out about that when you're trying to apply for a mortgage or apply for a car loan. And when you tell the person, well, that has nothing to do with me, I'll say, well, you better better go get that corrected. But nothing is instant with credit bureaus. It can take weeks or months to get something corrected. And that might put the deal that you're trying to get done for a house or a car in jeopardy. So it's really important people access their credit report. I generally recommend about once a year. Uh, what's happened recently as well is both Equifax and TransUnion, during the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, they're actually giving free online access. So it's even easier than ever before. Again, you have to navigate a bit on the website, keep clicking away from where they're trying to charge you money but uh, TransUnion is calling it a consumer disclosure report. I'm not sure the terminology Equifax is using but they both said publicly they're now giving free online access to credit reports so I encourage all lenders uh, sorry all individuals to go and check uh, your credit reports um, as quickly as you can and just to see if there are any inaccuracies there to correct.
1: Okay and so you advise people minimum once a year to do that?
0: Absolutely yes.
1: Okay, great. So the next step, and this is going to take some explaining for sure, is the statute of limitations. And is this something that anyone or everyone should pay attention to? Or is it just if you've been in debt for a long time or what's the best way to approach it?
0: Well, I think we'll start off by defining it first and saying who should pay attention to it. Um, so what happens is in a statute of limitations, you know, for many, many things in life, uh, if something happens to you and you decide, you know, I'm not going to make a big deal about it for now, but, you know, maybe in the future, I'm going gonna to make a big stink about it. Uh, there could be a period of time where you run out of time, you know, to essentially to make a claim against somebody because they've wronged you. What this right. means when it comes to debt is, say I've borrowed money from you, Elaine, and I don't pay you. You know, we, we said I was going to pay you every month and i stopped paying you you can't come back 10 years later and say hey blair you know you were supposed to make payments 10 years have gone by and you haven't made payments i want all the money now uh-huh. what the law says is you've got two years from the date when i was supposed to make a payment to when you have to bring a court action against me for payments and if two years go by and you haven't brought that court action you lose the right to ever bring that court action So where it can make sense is if someone is, you know, maybe 70, 80 years old, they're not too concerned about their credit rating and they owe money to a bank that they're just not going to be able to pay off, you know, given that their pension income and nothing is going to be additional to that, you know, they could decide to file a bankruptcy or file a proposal or they could just decide to say, well, I'm not able to pay this bank. You know, if the bank really wants to take me to court at that point, I might hire a trustee and do a bankruptcy or a proposal, but I might just wait this out for two years. And if the bank decides not to sue me, then I'm I'm going to know for the rest of my life the bank can never sue me on this debt i just can stop worrying about it so what did it cost me to you know basically get out from under that debt nothing other than waiting two years from the date of the last payment. So there's a lot of intricacies to this. You know, if it's a government debt, there is no statute of limitations. If you've already been sued for the debt, there is no statute of limitations. Uh, But in many, many cases, if you've just got one consumer debt, maybe it's been hanging around for a long time, it's well beyond two years since you last made a payment, you can sleep soundly knowing that you could never be compelled or forced to pay that debt if a court action was brought against you.
1: Uh, in, in this situation, it sounds like you're the person who uh, who I'd want to talk to first before thinking about taking this kind of action or not taking this kind of action.
0: Absolutely. I would say reach out to a licensed insolvency trustee because, you know, this is not the low-risk way to go. It's not the low-stress way to go in many cases, but it can be the right way to go if you just really can't afford to make payments, and it can be great peace of mind to know it's not going to be the rest of your life. You have to be worried. It's literally two years from the date of your last payment.
1: Yeah, Sounds like a good idea. What about those uh, collection calls that we often hear about and and get, even if we don't owe anybody anything? I mean, my mm-hmm. gosh, the number of phone calls I get on a regular basis, whether it be at my home line or my cell phone, it's crazy. Uh, you know, people telling me I owe the money, but I mean, let's say I did. And what about those collection calls? Is there anything we can do about that?
0: Well, absolutely. You know, creditors have the right to call you. You have the right to hang up the phone. So there's no point would you ever be compelled to have to speak to anybody about your debt. But that's obviously not a very comfortable thing to be doing, to hang it, be hanging up in people's faces. Um, you know, for anybody who hasn't had the pleasure of having a collection call, um, you know, I had a debt a few years ago uh, with a rental car company. Um, the insurance company was paying them out within a few months. Uh, but they also assigned it to a collection agent. And I could not explain to this collection agent. I couldn't get two words out before they were down my throat telling me I was a very bad person and I was a right. legal professional so you know I knew <laughs> not to be intimidated by this and I knew you know, everything's going to get resolved so you can imagine somebody who doesn't have the same background as a licensed insolvency trustee when they hear somebody speaking in a very formal tone who's talking down to them who requires that you address them as Mr. So-and-so but they'll use your first name and throw it out no matter what um, it can be a very unpleasant situation to find yourself in the for province sure. of BC has some of the best consumer protection legislation in Canada and they've put out a letter called the request for communication in writing only and that is exactly as it sounds when you send that to a creditor it is a legally binding requirement that they no longer call you that they send you letters instead and you can imagine the threats the tone the innuendos what they might try to say over the phone if they have to write that down they know that could end up on the front page of the vancouver sun the next day (laughs) something that's really you know over beyond the pale so they're going to be very careful about that yeah. So all, all you need to do is send that letter. Uh, it's a letter you can find from Consumer Protection BC, or as with many useful things, you'll find it on the SANS-Trustee website. Again, go to the homepage, click on Client Resources, and you'll find that letter. You just fill it in, who is the collector. Now, it's important that you keep a record of when you've sent this and to who, because you can imagine they're going to say, we didn't get this letter. And then you say, well, I mailed it to you on this date. I've got a return mail. Uh, you know, I did registered mail, so I've got a receipt for it. Um, and then after you've documented a few times, you'll find the calls are going to stop completely or you'll complain to consumer protection bc they'll get involved with fines or even removing collectors licenses so it's a real thing with some teeth
1: okay excellent now uh what's the fourth resort uh resource that you want to tell someone about
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, this one I've headlined as consolidate without borrowing. So most of the time, if people are in debt, they try to consolidate, they approach their bank and they say, you know, if I'm paying 19% on all my debts, I'd rather, you know, pay a whole lot less than that through a consolidation loan, maybe pay 10 or 11 or 12%, which sounds great. But a lot of the time people have difficulty qualifying for a consolidation loan, because you have to have either really great income or a lot of assets you can pledge to the bank. And most of the time, if you have those things, you might not need to consolidate or you might not in debt. The way a consumer proposal works is it costs you nothing beyond what you can afford to repay as a consolidated amount. So it puts all of your debt together, and it does one better than a consolidation loan, and that it reduces the debts down to what you can afford, and it saves you all the interest as well. So where it's free is that whatever you can afford to pay back on the debts, if you owe $30,000, you can afford to pay back $10,000. That's all that you pay back, and the trustee gets paid out of that amount that you can afford to offer. So there's no cost above and beyond the amount you can afford to pay to settle your debts.
1: Okay um there's a, the thing that i want i wanted to ask too about this is that we we talk a lot about licensed insolvency trustees and and how they work how do you get paid for your service because it is a business even though you're federally regulated you've got to pay the bills so how do you get yep. paid for me w- when i come to you
0: yeah and that's a great question elaine when i you know tell people say at a cocktail party i'm a trustee and people say well how do you get paid if people have no money well at the end of the day if you're going to do a bankruptcy for example if you're low income you pay $200 a month for nine months, the majority of that goes to the trustee to cover the cost of administration. If you're paying more than $1,800, the majority of it goes to your creditors, and the trustee gets a portion of it for costs of administration. Uh, okay. If you're doing a consumer proposal, if you're paying back $300 a month, for example, the trustee would get a portion of that, I think about $50 or $60 on that, on that basis, um, on a monthly basis, uh, basically as their fee. So the trustee gets a portion of what you're paying back, either in a bankruptcy or a proposal, but it's never a separate bill, it's never or something um, that's you know can be scaled up or down based on time. It's all set by a government tariff.
1: Excellent. Okay, and in the last minute or so, I really want you to talk about getting that free debt advice from a licensed insolvency trustee and how that works and why why it can work so well for folks.
0: Yeah. So if you take nothing else away from this segment, just realize there are professionals out there that are committed to helping you understand all of your options and they do this for free. So at Sands & Associates, we have 19 offices. We help people all across the province and it's no cost, no obligation. We'll sit down with you. We'll be over the phone or on Zoom or whatever, explain to you all of your options, explain to you what you can do. And if that solution doesn't include us, that's totally fine. You'll never get a bill for our service we just want to help you move forward
1: it's such a great such a great service too um uh, you're there if if i need you to to take some action and to start a process or just for good information and if you're not quite at that place yet where you want to make a call and sit down to somebody uh, talk to somebody which i totally suggest you do because they're just really good people everybody that we've had on the show has been so easy to talk to and and such good communicators, check out their website. at sans-trustee.com. Just so much good information on there. Good questions, very thorough answers, to covering all kinds of topics to do with debt and how to give you a, to give you a hand up. Uh, the 1-800 number, if you'd like it, is 1-800-661-3030 to get the free consultation or to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Well, this is a great segment. Another great one. Blair, um, mistakes. We're going to talk about mistakes that you, you shouldn't make or try not to make in dealing with your debts. Uh, we talk, you know, we talk so much about taking proactive measures to getting out of debt and it's really important to do that, but there's lots of things that we think we're doing the right thing. And ultimately they cause more problems in, in just trying to get debt free. So let's talk about, um, the things that we really need to need to be um, aware of so that we don't do it when it comes to this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thrilled with today's segment of length. This is a lot of wisdom that clients share with us saying, you know, I wish I hadn't done this or I tried this. It really didn't help me at the end. And sometimes it just extends the amount of time that people are suffering. Uh, You know, the first thing, and I think we're going to go through about five of them today or at least four here. Uh, The first thing is taking on more debt. And this intuitively makes sense. You know, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you do is stop digging. But just about everybody that I sit down with, the first thing they try to do to solve their financial problem is to go and borrow more money they try to consolidate their debt, they sit down with their bank, for example. But this can lead to a number of issues. You know, first off, most people don't get, ass- don't get approved for consolidation loans unless they've got some assets they need to pledge or really high income. And oftentimes, those aren't the folks that really need the help. So when you need the consolidation loan, you often can't qualify. But even if you do qualify for the consolidation loan, a lot of times what I've seen is people consolidate all their debt, the credit cards get back to zero, the consolidation loan balance is there. But they haven't dealt with the underlying issue, so they're forced to rely on that credit again, and the credit cards go back up. So now they've got a consolidation loan, And they've got a similar credit card balance than before because they didn't actually deal with the issue, which might have been their cost of living have escalated, their income has decreased, there's some financial shock. Without them doing a very detailed budget, they don't see what the leakage is on a monthly basis. Um, Mm. Sometimes as well, people are able to consolidate, but it's still unaffordable. You're still paying off all of the debt and paying some interest on top of that. So you might have saved a little bit on the interest payment, um, but you still might not be in a situation where you're actually solving the problem. Problem, you could be going further into debt on a monthly basis. Uh, you know, a couple other ways people try to borrow, and these just kind of get, get worse and worse. So consolidation loans, not always bad, but be careful. Uh, automobile collateral loans, um, I've seen these go very bad. And what this is, is you go typically to a short-term lender, maybe a payday lender, for example, and they say, hey, you know, we can give you a better rate if you give us security over your car. And you maybe you read all the fine print or you don't, but a lot of people don't realize that if you miss payments even if you catch them up um, they can come and seize your car very quickly and then put you on the hook for storage costs uh, which could be you know 30 to 50 to 50 dollars a day sometimes Um, even if you make the payments late you still made the payment the terms can be such they can seize the car because you made a number of payments late um Typically, you're going to pay interest rates still in the range of 20 to 30%. So not cheap financing. Uh, And the folks I've had in my office, you know, oftentimes in tears, saying my car's at the storage lot. They won't give it back until I pay off the loan in full. I can't pay off the loan in full. And every day they're charging me this $30 to $50 storage fee. So... Be I mean, very careful if you're pledging assets. Almost always it's a bad idea uh with respect to these loans here. And, you know, along that scale of kinda of good, bad and the absolute worst, uh is the idea of payday loans. So we talk a lot about payday loans, about just the incredibly high interest and fees, sometimes over 500% when you add everything up, um, and it breeds a vicious cycle. So uh, one client who's now featuring in some of our, our testimonials on TV, he said, you know, payday loans are supposed to be you know, just a once in a while type of thing. He would do them literally every single payday. And I see that again and again. When someone's got one payday lender, they've typically got another five or even another 10 there that they're shuffling money around with. So Be very careful trying to borrow your way out of the situation. Almost always a bad decision that leads to worse outcomes.
1: Yeah, and that can, I I bet that includes uh, going to family or friends who would love to help you and jump on the bandwagon to help you, but so not always a good idea.
0: Yeah, so, you know, whether you're borrowing or you're getting advice, you know, just make sure eyes are wide open. So, you know, first off, if you're getting advice from family or friends, you know, make sure they know what they're talking about. Even accountants, lawyers, uh, folks who aren't skilled in insolvency, they might give you a false sense of you know, they know what they're talking about and telling you, well, you're doing the right thing and there's nothing else that can be done because they don't understand about bankruptcies or consumer proposals. So be a bit careful with getting advice. But where this often really impacts people is where they get somebody to co sign their debts. Maybe that can. Consolidation loan, the bank wouldn't approve them by themselves, but if mom or dad, brother, sister, or whoever signs on as a co signer, the bank suddenly will approve them. Now, what that means is if it gets to a point where the person isn't able to pay that consolidation loan, eventually has to restructure their debts using either a bankruptcy or a proposal, it's so much more painful because if somebody's co-signed that debt, it's what's called joint and several liability, which means that person is on the hook for 100% of the unpaid balance. So, you know, it's one thing to let down, you know, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, they took a risk, but the person that co-signed for your debt to try to help you get out of debt uh, you know are you okay letting them down as well because you don't have the option of just continuing to pay that debt if you do a bankruptcy or a proposal you have to deal with all of the debts at once and that can put your co-signer into a a negative situation so suddenly it's a whole lot more emotional a whole lot more difficult you've got relationships at stake here when you've brought somebody into co-sign or you've borrowed from them so be very careful relying on friends and family for either money or advice.
1: I just want to throw in here the, the website again, sans-trustee.com, if you want to take some action and dive a little deeper on these ideas. Uh, and the phone number as well is 1-800-661-3030. I bet lots of people think about their RSPs, hey, in a situation like this.
0: Well, Elaine, I hope it's fewer and fewer actually take the step of cashing in RRSPs. But absolutely, a lot of people still do this. They still think, oh, my gosh, I've got so much debt. My retirement could be seized anyway. So let me just be proactive. Let me be in control. Um, I'm going to cash in my RRSPs to pay off my debt. And I won't have RRSPs, but at least I won't have debt anymore. Okay, so logically, I understand the thinking. But the fact that's missing there is understanding that RRSPs are a federally protected asset. So the same way no one could come and take your company pension plan if you had one, no one can pursue you in court. Even if you go through a bankruptcy, no one can force you to cash in your RRSPs. Uh, You could have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and hundreds of thousands of dollars in an RRSP. And if you went through an insolvency proceeding, you could keep all of those RRSPs for your future retirement. The only exception is if you've made a bunch of contributions in the year prior to filing a bankruptcy or a proposal, those contributions have to get paid back. But most of the time, when people find themselves in debt, they're not contributing to their RRSPs anymore. Uh, So generally, the amounts that they have in there are going to be free and clear. Now, what you also need to understand, understand is if you do cash in your RRSPs, it's often not enough to solve the problem first off so you're still going to have some debt even if it is what happens is that you're not going to get what you anticipate when you withdraw the RRSPs. so there's going to be withholding tax and even then that withholding tax often isn't all that you owe the government so depending on the tax bracket you know 30 to 50 percent of what you withdraw from RRSPs could be lost right off the top to taxes and if you haven't planned for that you might have again a tax liability the following year that then can tells you to need to take bigger action on your debts. So I've never seen a situation where it's a good idea to cash in RRSPs to pay debt. Always happy to learn. But in most cases here, it's the bad idea.
1: Um, You mentioned this earlier about taking advice from the wrong people. And we're inundated with uh, commercials telling us about, uh, you know, debt counseling and and all those kinds of organizations. and, And they're not necessarily the best ones to take advice from.
0: Yeah, you need to be very careful. You know, if there's claims that seem too good to be true, we can repair your credit overnight, for example. Um, you know, even some advisors or credit counselors that are branded as a not-for-profit service, they're 100% funded by the lenders, and essentially they're a collection agent just wearing a much nicer, um, you know, means of of dealing with you. But still, their job is to get the money back and not to help you explore other alternatives. So make sure you're taking advice from a licensed insolvency trustee, they're independent, uh, federally licensed um, Uh, trustees that are able to assist you with understanding your legal options and you should never pay for that advice so if someone's saying you know you need me to represent you in this bankruptcy or proposal proceeding and sometimes people pay three to four thousand dollars for that you don't need to pay anything to meet with a trustee or to start a filing there's nothing extra that you need to pay above and beyond what the government has established either in a proposal or a bankruptcy so just be careful take advice from the right people and don't think that you need to pay to get that advice you absolutely do not.
1: And if you want more information before taking some steps or just going through this information again, nice and easy to do, their website is so great because it's just filled with good, good questions and answers, easy to understand, and it'll really give you a a great uh, idea as to, you know, where you fit in, sans-trustee.com or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030, 1-800-661-3030. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents.